0: Hello, I'm Hans Lee from Livewire Markets, and you're tuning into Signal or Noise, the podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by Australia's top macro minds to explain how you can make money from a top-down perspective. If you're confused by the data or a little lost in the headlines, this show is for you. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to our show and the Livewire Markets and Market Index websites. And a reminder that everything you're about to hear is information only and not advice. So with that said, let's go. Hello and a very warm welcome to Signal or Noise. This episode is the first of two earnings season shows that we are doing this season looking at the intersection of the macro environment and corporate earnings. So joining myself and our resident economist, AMP's Diana Messina, are Steve Johnson of Forager and Daniel Moore of IML. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. For our first topic, let's discuss the economic and earnings disconnect. So. The ASX200 entered this reporting season at near all-time highs, but of course this this disconnect between earnings expectations and economic expectations remains. Firstly, we'll deal with earnings expectations and look at this chart from Wilson's, Wilson's advisor of course, and that captures a actually quite remarkable shift in aggregate EPS growth just from from 12 months ago. Full year 2024 EPS growth for the ASX200 is now likely to come in at minus 5.5%, and that is far lower than where we were this time last year. But at the same time, the running earnings yield of the All Ordinaries is at roughly 5%, and that's well below the long-run average. The RBA, of course, also reduced its economic growth forecast for 2024 recently, adding that a GDP recovery may not come until the end of 2024 at the earliest. So, panel, for our first question, is, is this disconnect between what's happening in the economy and what's happening with earnings, an important signal that investors should be taking more seriously. And Deanna, I'll throw that to you. Signal or noise?
1: I'd say signal. I mean, the share market is usually a leading indicator actually for the economy. If you do, If you put together any type of forward-looking leading index, you actually use the stock market as a guide to the economy. But I'd say that at the same time, earnings expectations in Australia are running below countries like the US and and our growth numbers aren't expected to be that strong. So the two are sort of, I'd say, moving in line together for now.
0: Steve, what do you think? Do you agree with Deanna's signal or are you gonna go noise on this one?
2: I'm gonna go noise on this one, but a little bit for actually the same reason. It is a forward looking beast, the stock market. And mm. the reason that it was down so much uh, in 2022 was because people thought 2023 was going to be a really horrible year for the economy, and I would say the earnings have probably held up better than expected. It hasn't been good, like you said, it's been down, but it's been better than expected. And I think more importantly, there's a lot going on underneath the surface. There are big sectors like mining that are having earnings contractions, that's driving your EPS fall. There are other sectors that are doing better than feed, certainly in terms of the earnings picture.
0: Yeah, we'll come back to, to sector by sector analysis a little later. Daniel, where do you fall on the Signal or noise?
3: No, definitely signal. Um, If I'm looking at those earnings expectations, I'm probably more worried about 25, 26. Um, There's some pretty big punchy growth numbers uh, in those outer years, uh, combined with very high valuations. Um, It's a a bit of a recipe for vulnerability for the market, uh, with high earnings expectations and expectations of probably rate cuts. I mean, that's the implicit implication for high valuation. So there's vulnerabilities on both sides.
0: Yeah, and I look back at that Wilson's chart, where, we're, you know, 4% for FY25 and 26 after down 5.5%, that would be that would be quite a, a swing and, and roundabout if that, if that came to be. So for our second topic, let's go a little bit uh, deeper if you'd like to go to the sector level. And we thought we'd take a look at some stocks which are considered bellwethers for the Australian consumer. And let's consider the following company results. So we've got there Breville Group, JB Hi-Fi, West Farmers and Woolworths. Now what we've done is that we've measured each company is either a, a miss on analyst estimates or a beat on analyst estimates for profit and revenue. Dividend is an increase or decrease based on this time last year. And then the share price reaction is what happens on the day. With that in mind, do we think as a panel that, you know, and the people on the panel, do these numbers signal the peak for earnings among consumer stocks? Or do you disagree? Maybe we're at the start of a new bull cycle. And Steve, I might start that with you, signal or noise?
2: I will say noise again. I think we've seen the peak for expectations. Earnings have fallen in a lot of these businesses, but the expectation was that they were going to fall further. We'll talk about this later in the show. I'm not sure that's over yet. There's still a lot of uh, discretionary pain to come in the wider economy, and I'm quite worried about it. So far, though, those companies' results have been dramatically better than I would have expected 12 months ago. Part of that company specific and part of it aggregate demand holding up better than I would have expected. Okay, Daniel, would you, would you say seize you? or would you go a different way, signal
0: or noise? No, no, no
3: I, I agree 100%. Um, very noisy, the share price moves. Obviously, yep. it's, it's relative to short, short-term expectations, uh, which were very low. Yep. Um, but again, if you look at the results, there's some sort of negative underlying trends, particularly around margins. Um, So we're definitely starting to see uh, rising costs within the retail businesses. And and because they're very fixed cost businesses, if if sales are flat, um, we're gonna see margins decline. And we did see that despite better than expected results, we did see that those trends, which I think are gonna continue the same as Steve.
0: Yeah, okay. Deanna, where do you fall on this, signal or noise?
1: I'm gonna say noise because the outlook, I think for the consumer this year looks even worse than it did last year. So, and that's based on the fact that consumers have probably used up most of their savings. The consumers that we're most worried about, those are the mortgage. Uh, in that middle age bracket. We're not so worried about the retirees who are on, sitting on large pools of assets, savings, and can earn higher term deposit rates at the moment and a lot of value for their investments. And uh, despite the fact that we think that interest rate cuts are coming, consumers' uh, housing repayments, the share of their income, are rising to a record high, and the labour market's likely to weaken. So, in that environment, I think, uh, for consumer stocks, there's, there's, there's more downside to come.
0: Okay, and we'll come back to the, uh, the uneven effects on, of rates on consumers a little later with a chart. Um, Stephen Daniel, I, I want to share with you a quote from, from actually Andrew Tang and Morgan's Financial, who shared his view on, on buying defensives and this whole debate around defences versus cyclicals. Uh, and here's what he wrote recently. Despite the recent underperformance, we still find difficulty justifying the defensive premium if conditions don't fall away rapidly. In a surprisingly resilient economic environment, which kind of contra, is a little bit contrary to what Deanna was just saying, they continue to favour a rotation into cyclicals. So, Steve firstly and, and then Daniel, would you agree with Andrew? Do you think that the macro narrative presents an opportunity to get out of defensives, move into cyclicals, move into growth stocks, or not just yet? What do you think?
2: Not today. I think (laughs) three or four months ago, even uh, that would have been true. Uh, We were buying LaVisa at $17 something not that long ago, and it's north of 30 now. I think there's been a massive uh, rush back into the better quality cyclical businesses and those share prices have run very hard. Meanwhile, the likes of Woolies have not performed well at all. So that's a more balanced argument today than I think it was before. And individual stock selection, I think, is going to be more important than just picking whether you want to be in cyclicals or, or defensives.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Would you agree with Steve there? <laughs> have, you, have you missed your opportunity?
3: Yeah, that, that would have been useful in October. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's lots of cyclicals and growth companies that have rallied incredibly hardly. Yeah. I mean, some are up 100% um, within probably six months. Uh, but it's very stock-specific. I mean, there's definitely uh, defensives that trade on incredible multiples. Uh, Wes Farmers today trades on a higher multiple than CSL. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's, for us it's very stock specific um, but yeah, at an aggregate level we're not rushing into cyclicals right now
0: Okay, um, Steve I'll come back to you I'll bring up the chart you brought along It's funny actually when we were preparing for this show I think Steve and Daniel have been copying each other's homework in a way because you've both chosen your charts from the same report the Commonwealth Bank earnings report which is always full of charts that are really, really interesting um, Steve let's talk about the chart you brought along uh, the fixed rate home loan expiry schedule why did you bring this chart along?
2: probably because neither of us have owned enough discretionary retail stocks over the past six months. Uh, because of this chart, you know, you, you, this is showing the fixed rate mortgages that are rolling onto variable rate and how that profile unfolds. And if I rewind 12 months, I was sitting there in February last year, very, very, very worried about June, September, December of 2023, as those fixed rate mortgages became variable and people copped doubling of their mortgage payments, what impact that was gonna have on discretionary spend. Like we've already talked about, it has held up dramatically better than anticipated. My point with the chart is, there is still a fair bit of this to come, and my view is it's delayed rather than gone away forever. People had more savings than I'd given them credit for. There was more money sitting in offset accounts. Uh, They've been able to continue to spend, and what you're now seeing is that the excess mortgage payments, there's a nice ratio, coming on this, but they're shrinking down to near zero.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing that along. Daniel, we've already alluded to your chart. We're talking about the effect of higher rates on, on different consumers. Walk us through the chart you brought along.
3: Yeah, no, it's a great chart from CBA. They've produced a similar chart six months ago, and, and we're definitely seeing the younger cohorts, so the renters and, and people with mortgages, uh, their consumer spending is starting to fall. Um, and if we looked at that chart six months ago, it was really that the youngest two cohorts uh, but now it's it's creeping into the older cohort so pretty much anybody under 55 we're really seeing discretionary spend starting uh, to fall or or be very flat Uh, and I same with Steve I I expect that only to get worse because uh, monetary policy does act with a lag Mm -hmm. uh, and that lag this cycle is probably more pronounced than previous cycles because of that huge sort of savings balance they had Post-COVID, which is getting eaten away, which is also you can see in that chart.
0: Deanna, being the economist on the panel, would you agree with with Stephen Daniels' general view that it's 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 just delayed, but not, you know, and, but but not completely out of the woods?
1: Well, I would because that was the also our our view for all of last year. But uh, I mean, we were really wrong on that because the economy held up better. Uh, consumers had much more savings than we gave them credit for. To your point, Steve. And the RBA went harder than we expected. So, I think that there is still a possibility that maybe both here and global and in the US, you know, the, the central banks have achieved somewhat of soft landing. And we're in it right now. Uh, and that means that rate cuts will end up being delayed. I think that that's really the risk.
0: Okay, thank you all. For our third topic, let's look at everybody's favourite topic within share, well, not everyone, lots of people's favourite topic in share markets, that's dividends. The All Ordinaries currently has a dividend yield of about 4%, and that's right on the long run average. But we've had some recent results from BHP, Rio Tinto, the aforementioned CBA. Three of the biggest dividend payers in the world may suggest that the good times are about to end for now. So, panel, the question's pretty simple here. Are the days of outsized dividend payouts coming to an end for this cycle? And Daniel, I might start this round with you. Signal or noise?
3: <sighs> it, it's, it's such an aggregate. So if, of course, if, yeah. um, if you look at the largest three, uh, BHP, Rio, uh, CBA, yeah, we think there's vulnerability to dividends uh, from the iron ore price in particular, which is coming down. Mm-hmm. Um, and CBA is, is doing really well right now, but bad debts are at record lows. Um, so you'd think in time, they can only go up, uh, which would put dividends at risk.
0: Right, okay. So you would say then that, that it is a, a signal, signal in the sense that's outside. Okay, good to know. Um, Deanna, what do you think, signal or noise?
1: I'd say it's probably more noise. Okay. Just because of the nature of the Australian share market, I think uh, that while if you know, corporate earnings get under a bit more pressure, which is still a risk, you, know, you, may see, you may see a bit of a falling in dividend yields, but I think that companies are so attuned to consumers needing those high dividend payouts in Australia that it's hard to see a massive cut. Also, if you look at the projections for capital expenditure, which is kind of you know, companies can either go on the capex route or the dividend route, capex expectations aren't significantly high, so that kind of makes me think all well, that dividends will still remain pretty elevated.
0: Okay. Well, let's, bring, let's talk about the chart that you've brought along now. <laughs> We've all loved having this conversation about quality for the last couple of years. Maybe talk us through the chart that you've brought along, because it does relate to this whole earnings and and dividends and quality story. So the
1: chart tracks uh, companies reporting earnings and dividends compared to a year ago. And uh, it starts uh, back in the 80s, and it shows that uh, about 54% of companies in this reporting season have been increasing dividends, and about 51% have been increasing earnings. So again, I mean, it's quite a mixed picture of the current earnings season you had some good results but at the same time there were also some some misses but uh, it it is a bit of an improvement compared to where we were six six months ago so the earnings picture is 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 holding up better which i think is the rest of the panel's view as well
0: okay all right thank you for that steve what way do you fall on the signal or noise
2: i'm on the noise side of the ledger as well and i say that because i think a lot of these companies have been pretty conservative through the boom times the companies that did very well have been pretty conservative on the dividend payout ratio, the BHPs and RIOs of the world have the capacity to keep paying dividends on lower earnings than they had last year. And I think there are other parts of the market as well that have been very conservative because they were very uncertain about COVID's impact, the outlook for the economy, and have been banking a bit of cash just in case things got worse, where if things do continue to go along this soft landing scenario, companies get a bit more confident in the demand outlook, they've probably got the capacity to compensate for weaker earnings in aggregate with a slightly higher payout ratio. I think we're at a lower end of the historical payout ratio at the moment relative to where we've been. So there's capacity there for that to rise to offset some of the decline in earnings.
0: Okay, interesting. Well, thank you all for that. So okay, so let's put this all together now. So given the results of the February earnings season, how are you and your teams approaching the rest of 2024 from a portfolio construction perspective, actually from a stock picking perspective as well. And Steve, I might start that with you.
2: Yeah, we've had a lot of movement through February. (laughs) So there's a big exercise for us to sit down at the end of the month and say, what's working here, what's not, what have we made our money on and where do we need to recycle to? I would say generally for us at the moment, it's a bit of a motley collection of unique and idiosyncratic ideas and a decent chunk of cash at the other end of the portfolio as well. To the comment earlier, I think there's lots of expensive defensives and expensive growth stocks out there. There's lots of things that I'm just not that interested in. And then there's also stuff that's trading at five and six times earnings Mm -hmm. where I don't want a portfolio full of it, but I think it's a really, really sensible medium to long-term investment. So we're we're hedging our bets here, a bit of powder on the sideline, but also some fairly aggressive portfolio weightings in what we think are great 10-year investment opportunities.
0: Okay. So in terms of of individual stocks then, can I press you a little bit on what you're interested in maybe per se?
2: Well, we do lots of small cap stuff, so it's not going to be things that are, that are widely known. We own RPM Global's, our biggest investment by far. Really good result for a reporting season. That's a business that's been growing, but it hasn't been reflected in the share price. So it's got the capacity to become one of these much loved uh, quality stocks. And then tourism's one that I think has been punished really hard over the past six months. We've got a decent portfolio allocation too. We own Tourism Holdings, Experience Co, a little bit of Qantas in the portfolio as well. Uh, I think that's a space that people are overly pessimistic about the impact of discretionary spend when you've got all of these international tourists that are still only just starting to come back to Australia.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Steve. Daniel, what are you, what are you and your teams at IML thinking about? Yeah,
3: so Australia? we're always looking to buy good quality businesses at reasonable prices. Um, what, I guess sort of the two risks we see that we worry about yeah. are uh, earnings expectations for many, I guess, sort of popular stocks are, are mm-hmm. extremely high. Um, and, and valuations for many companies are also very high. Um, so there's, we're, what we're looking for are companies where the margin expectations are within historical norms. They're not highly elevated. Um, and, and we're also looking at valuations that make sense. You know, We don't want to pay uh, record multiples for Wesfarmers. Yep. Um, but the, no, the, as Steve said, there's other businesses that have been thrown out completely. Mm. Um, so yeah, we, we're really making sure we're not overpaying and, and making sure our margin assumptions are reasonable.
0: Okay, all right. And, and let me press you then on, on, on maybe one or two names that you know, you, you, you've seen the results of during February and you thought, oh, this, this is uh, one that we could have a closer look at.
3: Yeah, uh, we just actually came, I came from a meeting with Steadfast. Uh, mm. Insurance broking business, uh, largest in the country. Fantastic business run by great management, yep. um, growing earnings, low double digits, um, trading on a really reasonable multiple around 18 times, um, great recurring earnings. Um, not, not, earnings aren't really that cyclical, so no, we think that's really well priced for its gross profile.
0: Okay, thank you for that. Deanna, finally, what are you hearing from the AMP team?
1: Well, our teams are more positioned around multi-assets, so not specific within the Australian share market. But uh, from a multi-asset point of view, they're very much neutral because if you run through all the lists of negatives, I guess, like we have today, then there's still a pretty long list. There's a high risk of recession, but share markets can still rally up to the point where you get um, a potential downturn or recession. So it's difficult to be overly optimistic about the outlook for equities especially i think for australia our teams are more positioned for global equities uh, o- more overweight global equities relative to australia but overall the the portfolios are, are quite neutral
0: there's so much going on in australia sometimes we forget about what's happening globally all right on that note that's signal Law noise the reporting season show a big thank you to steve johnson at forager to daniel moore at iml and of course, to Diana Messina from AMP, thank you very much. Next time it's our first global markets show for the year. If you've enjoyed the program, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel, as well as the LiveWire and Market Index websites and our podcast, which you can now find on Apple and Spotify.
3: We'll see you in a month. Thanks for joining us.